Chapter 18 of The Pharaoh and the Priest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Pharaoh and the Priest by Belesfef Prus. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter 18 From the day that he became viceroy of Lower Egypt, a life unparalleled in trouble set in for Ramses. Such a life as he had not even imagined though born and reared in the pharaoh's palace. People simply tortured him. His torturers were persons who had interests of various kinds and who were of various social classes. On the very first day, at sight of the throngs of people who crowded and pushed one another with eagerness, trampled his lawns, broke his trees, and injured even the wall which enclosed his villa, the heir demanded a guard for protection. But on the third day he was forced to flee from his own dwelling to the precincts of the palace proper, where, because of numerous sentries and above all because of high walls, access to him was made difficult. During the ten days which preceded his departure, representatives of all Egypt, if not of the whole world of that period, passed before the eyes of the new viceroy. First of all were admitted great personages. Hence to congratulate him came the high priests of temples, ministers, ambassadors, Phoenician, Greek, Hebrew, Assyrian, Nubian, men whose dresses even he could not remember. Next came the chiefs of neighboring provinces, judges, secretaries, the higher officers of the army corps in Memphis, and landowners. These people desired nothing. They simply expressed their delight at honor shown him. But the prince, while listening to these persons from morning till midday and from midday till evening, felt confusion in his head and a quivering in all his members. After this came representatives of the lower classes, with gifts, merchants bringing gold, foreign staffs, amber, fruits and perfumes, then bankers and men who loaned money for interest, further architects with plans for new buildings, sculptors with projects for statues and carvings in relief, masons, porters, makers of ordinary and ornamental furniture, blacksmiths, founders, tanners, wine merchants, weavers, even dissectors who opened the bodies of the departed. The procession of those men rendering homage had not finished when an army of petitioners approached the viceroy. Invalids, widows, and orphans of officers requested pensions. Noble lords required court offices for their sons. Engineers presented new methods of irrigating Egypt. Physicians offered means against diseases of all sorts soothsayers offered horoscopes relatives of prisoners petitioned to lessen punishments those condemned to death begged for life the sick implored the heir to touch them or to bestow on them his spittle finally beautiful women announced themselves the mothers of stately daughters begging the heir humbly but insistently to receive them into his mansion some indicated the amount of the pension demanded praising their virginity and their talents after ten days of looking every moment at new persons and faces, and hearing petitions which only the possession of a world and divine power to dispense it could satisfy, Prince Ramses was exhausted. He could not sleep. He was so excited that the buzz of a fly pained his nerves, and at moments he did not understand what people said when they talked to him. In this position Herod came again to assist the viceroy. He commanded to inform the wealthy that the prince would not receive any more persons on questions of interest, and against common people, who, in spite of repeated invitations to disperse, were still waiting. 
he sent a company of numidians with clubs these succeeded with incomparably more ease than ramses in meeting popular wishes for before an hour had passed the petitioners had vanished from the square like mist while one and another of them for a couple of succeeding days poured water on their heads or other bruised parts of their bodies after this trial of supreme power the prince felt profound contempt for men and became apathetic he lay two days on a couch with his hands beneath his head gazing vacantly at the ceiling he did not wonder that his sacred father passed his time at the altars of the gods but he could not understand how herer was able to manage this avalanche of business which like a storm not only surpassed the strength of a man but might even crush him how carry out plans in this case when a throng of petitions fetter our will devour our thoughts drink our blood at the end of ten days i am sick at the end of a year i should be an idiot in this office it is impossible to carry out any plan a man can just defend himself from madness he was so alarmed by his weakness in the position of ruler that he summoned herer and with a complaining voice told of his suffering the statesman listened with a smile to the complaints of the young steersman of the ship of state and at last said in answer knowest thou lord that this immense palace in which we dwell was reared by one architect named senebi who moreover died before it was finished and to a certainty thou wilt understand how this famous architect could carry out his plan without weariness and be always in a cheerful temper i am curious well he did not do everything himself he did not hew the beams or cut the stones he did not make the bricks he did not carry them to the scaffolding he did not lay them into the wall and fasten them together he only drew the plan and moreover he had assistance but thou prince hast the wish to do all things thyself to listen in person and transact every business that goes beyond human strength how should i do otherwise if among petitioners there are some who have suffered without cause or if there is unrewarded service of course the foundation of the state is justice how many canst thou hear in a day without weariness asked herer well twenty thou art happy i hear at the most six or ten but they are not interested in the petitions they are chief secretaries overseers and ministers these men report to me no details only the most important things that are done in the army on the estates of the pharaoh in question of religion in the courts in the provinces and touching movements of the nile therefore they report no trivial matter because each man before he comes to me must hear ten inferior secretaries each inferior secretary and overseer collected information from ten sub-secretaries and sub-inspectors and they in their turn have had reports from ten officials who are under them in this manner i and his holiness speaking with only ten people daily know all that is most important in a hundred thousand points of egypt and the world beyond it the watchman in charge of one part of a street in memphis sees only a few houses a decurion of ten policemen knows the whole street a centurion a division of the city the chief knows all the city the pharaoh stands above them all as if he were standing on the highest pillar of the temple of ptah and sees not only memphis but the cities sochem on chero tura tetani with the suburbs and a portion of the western desert from that height his holiness is unable it is true to see the people who are wronged or those who are unrewarded but he is able to see the crowd of laborers who have collected without work he cannot see warriors in the drum shops but he can know what regiment is exercising 
he cannot see what a given earth tiller or citizen is preparing for dinner but he can see a fire beginning in a given quarter of the city this order in the state continued herer with growing animation is our strength and glory snofru a pharaoh of the first dynasty asked a certain priest what monument he should rear to himself draw on the earth o lord replied the priest a square and put on it six million unhewn stones they will represent the people on that foundation place sixty thousand hewn stones they will be the lower officials on them place six thousand polished stones they will be thy higher officials on these put sixty covered with carvings those will be thy most intimate counsellors and chief leaders and on the summit place one monolith with its pedestal and the golden image of the sun that will be thyself the pharaoh snofru followed that advice thus rose the oldest pyramid the steppe pyramid a tangible image of our state from that pyramid all others had their origin those are immovable buildings from the summits of which the rim of the world is visible and they will be a marvel to the remotest generations in this system resides our superiority over all neighbors the ethiopians were as numerous as we but their king himself took care of his own cattle and beat his own subjects with a club he knew not how many subjects he had nor was he able to collect them when our troops invaded his country there was not a united ethiopia but a great crowd of unorganized people for that reason they are our vassals at present the prince of libya judges all disputes himself especially among the wealthy and gives so much time to them that he cannot attend to his own business so at his side whole bands of robbers rise up these we exterminate were there in phoenicia a single ruler who knew what was happening and who commanded in all parts that country would not pay us one uten of tribute but what a happiness for us that the kings of nineveh and babylon have each only one minister and are tormented with the onrush of business as thou art this day they wish to see judge and command everything hence the affairs of the states are entangled for a century to come but were some insignificant scribe to go from egypt to those kings explain their errors of management and give them our official system our pyramid in a year's time judea and phoenicia would fall into the hands of the assyrians and in a few tens of years powerful armies coming from the east and the north by land and by sea would hurl themselves on us armies which we might not be able to vanquish therefore let us fall on them to-day and take advantage of their want of order cried rameses we are not cured yet of previous victories answered herhor coldly and he began to take leave of the viceroy have victories weakened us burst out the air or have we not brought home treasures but does not the axe with which we cut wood become blunted inquired herhor and he went out the prince understood that the great minister wished peace at all costs in spite of the fact that he was chief of the armies we shall see whispered rameses to himself a couple of days before his departure rameses was summoned to his holiness the pharaoh was sitting in an armchair in a marble hall no other person was present and the four entrances were guarded by nubian sentries at the side of the royal armchair was a stool for the prince and a small table covered with documents written on papyrus on the walls were colored bas-reliefs showing the occupations of field walkers and in the corners of the hall were ungraceful statues of osiris smiling pensively when the prince at command of his father sat down his holiness spoke to him here my son are thy documents as leader and viceroy 
well have the first days of power wearied thee in thy service holiness i shall find strength flatterer said the pharaoh smiling remember that i do not require overwork on thy part amuse thyself youth needs recreation this does not mean however that thou art not to have important affairs to manage i am ready first i will disclose my cares to thee our treasury has a bad aspect the inflow of revenue decreases yearly especially in lower egypt and expenditures arising the pharaoh fell to thinking those women those women ramses they swallow up the wealth not of mortal men only but my wealth i have some hundreds of them and each woman wishes to have as many maids as possible as many dressmakers barbers slaves slaves for her litter slaves for her chamber horses oarsmen even her own favourites and their children little children when i was returning from thebes one of those ladies whom i do not even remember ran into my road and showing a sturdy boy of three years desired that i should designate for him a property since he was as she said a son of mine my son and three years of age canst thou understand this the affair was simple i could not argue with a woman besides in such a delicate question but for a man of noble birth it is easier to be polite than find money for every fancy of that sort he shook his head and continued meanwhile incomes since the beginning of my reign have decreased one half especially in lower egypt i ask what this means they answer people have grown poor many citizens have disappeared the sea has covered a certain extent of land on the north and the desert on the east we have had a number of bad harvests in a word tale follows tale while the treasure becomes poorer and poorer therefore i beg thee to explain this matter look about learn to know well-informed men who are truthful and form of them an examining commission when they begin to report trust not overmuch to papyrus but verify here and there in person i hear that thou hast the eye of a leader if that be true one glance will tell thee how accurate the statements of the commission are but hasten not in giving thy opinion and above all do not herald it note down every weighty conclusion which comes to thy head on a given day and when a few days have passed re-examine that question and note it down a second time this will teach thee caution in judgment and accuracy in grasping subjects it will be as thou commandest replied the prince another mission which thou must accomplish is truly difficult something is happening in assyria which begins to alarm my government our priests declare that beyond the northern sea stands a pyramidal mountain covered with green at its base and with snow on the summit this mountain has marvellous qualities after many years of quiet it begins all at once to smoke roar and tremble and then it hurls out as much liquid fire as there is water in the nile this fire which flows down its sides in various directions and over an immense stretch of country ruins the labour of earth tillers well assyria is a mountain of that sort for whole ages calm and quiet reign in that region till all on a sudden a tempest bursts out there 
great armies pour forth from it and annihilate peaceful neighbors at present around nineveh and babylon seething is audible the mountain is smoking thou must learn therefore how far that smoke indicates an outburst and think out means of precaution shall i be able to do so asked the prince in a low voice thou must learn to observe if thou hast the wish to learn anything well be not satisfied with the witness of thy own eyes but strengthen thyself with the aid of a number of others confine not thyself to the judgment of egyptians alone for each people each man has a special way of looking at subjects and neither one grasps the whole truth in any question listen therefore to what the phoenicians the hebrews the hittites and the egyptians think of the assyrians and weigh in thy own heart with care all that agrees in their judgments concerning assyria if all tell thee that danger is coming from that point thou wilt know that it is coming but if different men speak variously be on thy guard also for wisdom commands us to look for less good and more evil thy speech is like that of the gods whispered the heir of egypt i am old and from the height of the throne things are seen of which mortal men have not even a suspicion wert thou to inquire of the sun what he thinks of this world's affairs he would tell thee things still more curious among the people from whom i am to gain knowledge of assyria thou hast not mentioned the greeks o father put in rameses the pharaoh nodded and said with a kindly smile the greeks oh the greeks a great future is in store for that people in comparison with us they are in childhood but what a spirit is in them dost remember my statue made by a greek sculptor that is my second self a living person i kept it a month in the palace but at last i gave it to the temple in thebes wilt thou believe fear seized me lest that stone eye should rise from its seat and claim one half of the government what a disorder would rise then in egypt the greeks hast thou seen the vases which they make the palaces which they built from that clay out there and from stone something comes that delights my old age and forbids me to think of my feebleness and their language oh gods it is music and sculpture and painting in truth i say that if egypt could ever die as a man dies the greeks would take all its property nay more they would persuade the world that everything done by us was their work and that we never existed and still they are only the pupils of our primary schools for as thou knowest we have no right to communicate the highest knowledge to foreigners still father it seems that thou hast no trust in the greeks no for they are peculiar one can trust neither greek nor phoenician the phoenician when he wishes sees and will tell the genuine truth of egypt but thou wilt never know when he is telling it the greek as simple as a child would tell the truth always but he is never able the greeks look at the world in a manner different altogether from our way in their wonderful eyes everything glitters assumes colors and changes as the sky and the water of egypt how then could we rely on their judgment in the days of the theban dynasty 
far away toward the north was the little town of troy we have in egypt twenty thousand as large as it various greek vagrants laid siege to that hamlet and so annoyed its few inhabitants that after ten years of trouble they burned their little fortress and moved to other places an everyday robber narrative meanwhile just see what songs the greeks sing of the trojan combats we laugh at those wonders and heroisms for our government had accurate information of events there we see the lies which strike any one but still we listen to those songs as a child does the tales which its nurse tells and we cannot tear ourselves free from them such are the greeks born liars but fascinating yes and valiant every man of them would rather die than tell the truth they do not lie for profit as do the phoenicians but because their mind constrains them well what am i to think of the phoenicians they are wise people of mighty industry and daring but hucksters for them life means profit be it great or the greatest the phoenicians are like water they bring much with them but bear away much and push in at all points one must give them the least possible and above all watch that they enter not through hidden crannies into egypt if thou pay them well and offer hope of still greater profit they will be excellent assistants what we know to-day of secret movements in assyria we know through phoenicians and the jews asked the prince dropping his eyes a quick people but gloomy fanatics and born enemies of egypt only when they feel on their necks the iron-shod sandal of the assyrian will they turn to us may that time not come too late to them it is possible to use their services not here of course but in nineveh and babylon the pharaoh was wearied now hence the prince fell on his face before him and when he had received the paternal embrace he went to his mother the lady sitting in her study was weaving delicate linen to make garments for the guards and her ladies-in-waiting were sewing and embroidering robes or making bouquets a young priest was burning incense before the statue of isis i come said the prince to thank thee my mother and take farewell the queen rose and putting her arms around her son's neck said to him tearfully hast thou changed so much thou art a man now i meet thee so rarely that i might forget thy features did i not see them in my heart every moment thou art unkind how many times have i gone with the first dignitary of the state toward thy villa thinking that at last thou wouldst cease to be offended but thou didst bring out thy favourite in my presence i beg thy pardon i beg thy pardon said rameses kissing his mother she conducted him to a garden in which peculiar flowers grew and when they were without witnesses she said i am a woman so a woman and a mother has interest for me dost thou wish to take that girl with thee on thy journey remember that the tumult and the movement which will surround thee may harm her for in her condition calm and quiet are needed art thou speaking of sarah inquired rameses astonished she has said nothing to me of that condition she may be ashamed perhaps she does not herself know replied the queen in every case the journey i have no intention of taking her exclaimed rameses but why does she hide this from me as if the child were not mine be not suspicious chided the lady this is the usual timidity of young women 
moreover she may be hiding her condition from fear lest thou cast her away from thee for that matter i shall not take her to my court broke out the prince so impatiently that the queen's eyes were smiling but she covered them with their long lashes it is not well to be over harsh with a woman who loved thee i know that thou hast given an assured support to her we will give her something also and a child of the royal blood must be reared well and have property naturally answered rameses my first son though without princely rights must be so placed that i may not be ashamed of him and he must not regret separation from me after parting with the queen rameses wished to go to sarah and with that object return to his chambers two feelings were roused in him anger at sarah for hiding the cause of her weakness and pride that he was going to be a father he a father this title gave him an importance which as it were supported his titles of commander and viceroy father that did not mean a stripling who must look perforce with reverence on older people he was roused and enraptured he wished to see sarah to scold then embrace her and give her presents but when he returned to his part of the palace he found there two monarchs from lower egypt who had come to report on their provinces and when he had heard them out he was wearied besides he was to hold an evening reception and did not wish to be late in beginning and again i shall not be with her thought he poor girl for twenty days she has not seen me he summoned the negro hast thou that cage which sarah gave thee when we went to greet his holiness i have take a pigeon from it and let the bird loose the pigeons are eaten who ate them thou i told the cook that those birds came from the lady sarah so he made a roast and pies out of them for thee worthiness may the crocodiles eat you both cried the prince in anger he sent for tutmosis and dispatched him immediately to sarah he explained to him the history of the pigeons and said give your emerald earrings bracelets anklets and two talents say that i am angry because she concealed her condition but that i will forgive her if the child is healthy and handsome should she have a boy i will give her another place finished he with a smile but persuade her to put away even a few jews and to take even a few egyptian men and women i do not wish my son to be born into such company besides he might play with jew children they would teach him to give his father the worst dates of the harvest End of chapter eighteen